Hello and good evening, everyone. This is Mish and Miriam, and we're excited to talk about what happened last week in the hospitality industry. Uh, we're talking about the news, and then we add our little five cents to it. <laughs> I think. Hello, Mish. How are you? Hello, Miriam. I'm I'm pretty good. I'm definitely not tired today. No, you no. only drive drove four hours and uh, five hours from Munich, and now we have eleven uh, thirty at night. So you're and you didn't eat. That's correct. <laughs> yes, that's so. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm really excited for this podcast. I think it's going to be very, very good. <laughs> I heard when people are hungry, they are very concentrated. So <laughs> okay, let's see how how we're doing um, that today. I think we should start right away. What let's do, you do it. Yeah, let's start with the first topic because. Everybody wants to get into the extended stay game. What does that mean, Miriam? Explain it to me. <laughs> so, um, long stay condos, service apartments, apart hotels, however you want to call them. Um, all the big brands are creating new brands um, where they can cover that market share. It's very much in the like. It's a very big trend right now. Um, as you know, it has been IHIF last week here in Berlin, and you know there were lots of speakers and trends coming on, and and that is definitely one of them. Um, kind of reasons, I mean, we picked out in our in our newsletter, we picked out three main topics why that trend is emerging and why it kind of makes sense in in today's time. Uh, one is the work life um, balance through digitalization. You cannot say it right now. Digitalization. <laughs> Digitalization. I mean, right today, as we can work from home, um, life and there's kind of a blend between work and life and when we work. So many people can work from anywhere. Uh, and that is one reason why the demand for apartments has, has increased so much because people yeah, just work away from whenever they want and do their work. So that's one trend why apartments <coughs> or extended stays um are doing well are doing very well exactly um and then it's also the investment landscape we spoke about it many times last year last week and i think the previous weeks before as well um money is getting more expensive and building is getting more expensive particularly and when they build apart hotels they kind of hedge their security because worst case they could also rent it for a long time and there will always be people working in different cities. So actually, they're kind of hedging their risk by building um, new apart hotels instead of just hotels, um, as they have dual use, so to say. And the third one? And the third one is hotels fill their revenue gap. Because many times on Sundays, um, if there were leisure hotels who were completely empty on Sunday nights, but now, if they're apart hotels, people start their, let's call it staycation or whatever, um, they start it uh, on Sunday and the whole week is booked. So actually, they have longer periods, which is better for hotels, right? Because they have to clean less and every check-in and check-out is more work than people staying longer. So actually, they can, yeah, make more revenue. So basically, um, the interesting part of the news, right, is that most of the hotel, big hotel chains are now jumping on the the apart hotel train wagon exactly. and are all want to, want to participate in it. So they, the competition is going to increase quite dramatically. Probably. Exactly. I mean, from my side, the most important question is 
is this going to last or is this just one of those things that uh, that are a trend but maybe it will subside that's a very good question i have actually no answer uh, i mean one thing we could definitely say right that part hotels have been um, have been a growing trend right so it, even before corona and Airbnb is doing more and more and better and better and better and maybe it's just one of those class asset classes that is um, that is increased because people generally now seek experiences outside of just be staying in a great hotel mm-hmm. they actually want to explore the city more right that's part of the how the development of most western countries is right and developing countries in general yeah. people want more experiences and for them therefore apartments is it's not a disadvantage because the service, even though there is maybe not as much service anymore, it's 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 an apartment. They just want to stay there, live there, maybe eat there, but they actually want to go travel and explore and stuff like this and work. Ah, uh, exactly. Office, so right? that I think is a big one, right? The way we work has completely changed. Now we can just work from our laptop. And because of that change, people can work from in anywhere. Meaning that demand hasn't really been existing before because we're, people were just going to their offices from Monday to Friday. And that is not happening anymore. So as we basically, it's a combination of a few factors then. Right? So we say it's going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, 100%. It's going to stay. Let's I mean, it's very interesting, right? Marriott started their new brand called 30 Seconds by Marriott. They also have five other extended stay brands already. There is H3 by Hilton. There's Stay Bridge from IHIG. There's Lime Home, blah, blah, blah. There's I mean, so it's also fair to say that... Um, a lot of those brands, a lot of the hotel chains actually had, exactly as you said, apart apart hotel brands or like, um, um, what do you call them, uh, share share ownership of apart spaces where people could invest into like mm. a hotel with an apartment unit inside. They could stay there themselves for eight weeks, for example, but mm. the rest of the time it would be, for example, rented out to hotel guests. Mm. So they were trying to expand on that back in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it reached its own limit and now they see that there is more bookings, they see there's smaller players showing up like uh, we have quite a few in Germany mm. right now so maybe that's um, just one of those trends that is re-arising I suppose yeah or becoming like professional life like a special asset class in that sense maybe on top of that we definitely have a pretty big trend across all of Europe where licenses are being closed up right that's another thing. and and the part hotel doesn't have to necessarily be short term it could be one month two months three months yeah there's quite a lot of businesses right now uh that are actually uh, renting out mid-stay apartments, even though they don't actually have a license. So, for example, in Germany, right, there is a six-month, technically the the constitutional court has decided that six months and above is long stay, mm-hmm. and everything below is short-term stay. Therefore, it actually requires a license. This has not been really um, been reinforced too much. Uh, however, um, so effectively speaking, if the German government decides that anyone who's staying for one month is now going to be also looked after, then all this uh, small side, well, not some of them, are actually major businesses that are renting out for one month and above can get fined and then have to cease operations. Ooh. And uh, knowing that the uh, German government loves to... <sighs> Check. <laughs> and and as, as also in a few other countries, right? I mean, this is this is probably an issue, so... All right. Depends so if let's see if the trend is gonna stay. I'm like I'm swaying in my in my opinion on on whether it's gonna whether it's here to stay. It's definitely good for hotel operators to make sure they have a license for short term stay and long term stay. And long term stay. Otherwise, um, 
technically it's also illegal for hotels in Germany to have someone live in them for over more than lo- longer than six months. Mm. So it goes both ways, except that's never checked. All you do is you just check out a guest and you check oh, them you back check in, them back in. Yeah, basically once every six months. Pretty simple, huh? Yeah. All right, let's move on. Mm. I think um, we should speak a little bit more about um, the investment landscape because of in, in, in the name of last week's um, IHIF and what the mood has been or what has happened or came up a lot is that transactions are still very slow so people are not buying or selling hotels yeah okay the mood on at AIJF was pretty much that less transactions are happening but operators are, are still changing meaning people are not selling their hotels uh, or people are not buying new hotels but they are changing people who run their hotels because from Corona, some of the operators have been paid their leases in full and that's kind of a breach of contract and that's a reason why you can terminate contracts even if they were set up to be 20 years or whatever. So actually in the, right now what's happening, operators are really busy because they're getting like requests to analyze. Um, a lot of new properties that are... Yes, exactly. So some are failing and some are succeeding. Exactly, so, but, right? So it means operators busy, transactions slow, which is, uh, is I think, an indication again to the market. Um, yeah, okay. money being spent. The money being expensive and everybody being scared, waiting, right? Who's going to make the first move? Who's going to make the first transaction? I think if one or two big transactions happen this year, the rest will follow because companies still have money to buy properties um, and certain certain properties um, should be selling. There's a very interesting economic theory that um, basically the financial crisis in 2008 wasn't really caused by uh, real estate bubble, but actually by the fact that the Federal Reserve has hiked up the interest rates as a result of worrying that everything is going to go to shit. And then effectively causing everybody to be scared, keeping their money, not spending anymore, and that basically causing a snowball effect where actually then things slow down. So effectively, people are just on running on about doing their thing, yeah. and uh, def- they were not pl- planning to to spend less, to do less, or to buy less. Until then, the government announced everything is going terribly. We need to <laughs> we need to watch out, and then people become more conscious of it, right? Yeah. And I guess this impacts also investors because nobody knows. But maybe this is actually going to be the reason. Like in two thousand eight, right? It's a theory, of course. It's it's not a hundred percent truth but it's it's an economic theory that was published in 2010 uh that maybe this time around it's going to be the same everybody's worried they have less transactions less money spent also with consumers and then everything will then start collapsing <laughs> people will start losing jobs and so on and so forth so far no so far no yeah i mean so far no but if you look at the numbers so i saw um the transaction volume this year has been 200 million in germany which is 56 percent uh, less than last year. So that's actually half of the transactions happened in the first quarter in comparison to last year. So it has slowed down a lot, at least in Germany. And it's 70 percent below the past year average if we look at the first two quarters. So actually transactions, um, at least hotel real estate transactions are not happening. Oh, very slow, very slow. 
we've looked at uh, consumer spending. Uh, so far, it hasn't decreased drastically. It's uh, not doing as well, but it's compared to 2022. Yeah. Uh, if you compare it to 2019, it's actually pretty good. Mm. Consumer spending was actually really high in 2022, relatively speaking, because people were sitting at home and not really had didn't have much to do, so they were just online shopping. Yeah, and especially now, right? We all know that travel is uh, kind of bouncing back as well. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, this is the interesting. Uh, this is the interesting question. But the interesting uh, time. I mean, but generally speaking, though, two hundred million. Even if we double that, four hundred million. Let's say as last year, mm-hmm. where people probably was a kind of maybe perhaps mini record, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody had a lot of money right before the yeah. the interest spikes. Um, still seems really low. There is some transactions in Paris that are two hundred million, right? Yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But have there such transactions that are registered somewhere or? Because I'm sure there's way more transactions happening. Than in the link for Cushman and Wakefield. Let's double check. <laughs> Perhaps these are, these are publicly traded uh, transactions that are traceable. I'm sure there's a lot of smaller trans- I mean, if somebody buys an apartment, a tiny apartment, uh, and then is renting it yeah, out. Yeah, that's not part of it. It's probably. more big, uh, like other big transactions. So maybe from a certain amount. But yeah, 200 million. All right. Let's move on. Next news. Next news. Accor this time. <laughs> we love Accor. <laughs> so the CEO, did you actually manage to, to see him? Apparently he Sebastian was a... Savant, no, uh, Sebastian Bazin. No, I didn't. But he came to our school. So I have met him. So you decided to go on this time. Yes. All right. Well, um, well, he was at your convention last week. Mm. And uh, he gave a speech. Surprise, surprise. And that speech apparently has talked quite a lot about how he is encouraging hotel businesses, restaurants, and so on and so forth to focus a lot more on locals. Mm. He's saying, basically, uh, you need at least 60% of your business to be related to locals. So let's say your hotel in Brandenburg and you want somebody from Berlin to come. So you want basically Germans Mm -hmm. to come to your place that are more relatively speaking locals. And therefore, then you the businesses that survived most during uh, COVID were the ones who had 60% locals at least, right? Uh, All right. And that's that's his uh, kind of summarized his speech, right? Um, I feel like we've heard that before, no? I mean, getting local and getting local people to come to your restaurant, that's what sets you apart as a, because you can have interactions between tourists and I mean, locals. I mean, it sounds to me like a cool trend and you can also connect it to sustainability or any other topic you want. However, it, it kind of ignores the most important rule of conducting business or investing, which is diversification. If you have 60% of anything, and if that 60% decides tomorrow that they don't want to do that anymore, you have 40% left. Why? Local isn't like a monomagous, like a monomagous. It's not like one type of people, right? Locals can be... Young people, middle-aged people, true, like, true, so true. you actually can still have a different fan base, even if it's based on locals. So but with travel, right, you have, let's say, at some point, something happened in France, there was a terrorist attack, or there is a crisis specifically in France, and suddenly all your f- French visitors uh, drop, right? Or let's say for Eastern Europe, which is a very good example, Eastern Europe, the local market is still not as developed enough. So for them to say you want locals effectively means how about you don't bring down your ADR and make sure you only serve the Polish people, for example. And every person's, every hotel owner's dream in Poland is to make sure that all the Americans, all the Germans, all the French come to your hotel. But Banza is also very particularly speaking about the restaurants, about the F&B concepts. Because no, that's he, was what also he... Talk, he was also talking about the hotels, right, as well. Like 
there was it was a general term. But like, if you live in Berlin, why would you go to a hotel in Berlin? I think it just generally to me this advice is useless. What you should be doing is trying to make sure your product is good, it's high quality, it has really good uh, um, image, uh, good review scores wherever that is, and then the business will come. Right? Focusing on trying to get sixty percent locals, it it it, it feels, sounds to me like it could backfire. Right? Following the idea of like the black swan. Right? You will never be able to predict the next crisis. And yes, speaking from behalf of pandemic, if we get another pandemic, it's great you have locals. But will we have something else? We we don't know. During right? the pandemic, they're also not allowed to go to restaurants. So calm down. Yeah, but the second, <laughs> but the second, but the second day war, right? They did, right? I understand yeah, yeah, that. Okay. And for a pandemic, it's a good scenario. But it could be a variety of different crises. But I also feel it has to do with how you run your business, right? If usually, if you can get, if you can attract locals, that is a little bit of proof of concept for your business because sometimes tourists go to right like whatever they walk into but if you're able to have locals to come to your restaurant it means they have they know the, they know the city and they still decide to come to your restaurant which actually i think is a bit of a proof of concept but that shows that you have a good product it doesn't necessarily yes, exactly. show that it's but adaptable. that's his point right that's one of his points if you can get the locals to come to your place it means you're good because they know the market. Still, though, I do not think you should have sixty percent of anything in your business portfolio. <laughs> right? It's the okay. simple. It's the simple diversification <laughs> rule that you need to be applying here, right? It's you think this sixty percent advice is just. Let's say you're living in the comp- in country X, and all of a sudden the economy collapses there because of some mistake some bank made, aka mm. every other crisis that we ever had, right? But some other countries did well. And you have this huge, huge market uh, share of locals. And you're so local, you're so cool that you maybe stopped ignoring to translate your menus, to try to introduce other regions, to try to advertise, right? And then it backfires all of a sudden, right? That's, um, to me, it's, you should start from what is your good product, right? And then you try to get an average of, let's say you have a hotel room and, you know, I mean, it's a blanket statement, but the Dutch, the French, the English, the Chinese expect different things as yeah, a group, sure. as a group on average, right? And if you're a hotel, if you're a restaurant, if you're a service business, you should try to play on the travel market, on the local market. You shouldn't be just focusing on... But I think he's also, right, he's CEO of Accor, meaning he is CEO of the... They go in all the different countries, and I think because they also use the same teams, right? They expand to different countries, so for them... I feel they're very much with an international mindset. They're like, okay, uh, <laughs> our outside is in English, and uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. So for him, it's more of like I speak to my company as well. Make sure that you think of the locals. We recently uh, looked into. I mean, you remember into other, his interview uh, mm-hmm. yeah, a few we weeks ago, um, and his one of his bigger pushes was. Uh, Yes, there was a few basically things on the agenda, and uh, he was pushing for localness, as you said, indeed, mm. and a few other topics. And I guess he's just repeating this now in every speech he does. Exactly, that's <laughs> why I was so surprised that you choose this news because I was, we were, we, yeah. Exactly. I mean, to me, I find this maybe, um, I don't know, I, I obviously I cannot get into his head, right? But it could be also disingenuous if you just decided to push this for your company because it makes sense, and then try to sell this advice off as if it makes sense for everybody in the world, right? Mm. If okay. Also as well, right, if you're an entrepreneur and a giant company is doing something, maybe you should do something different because 
they're exactly they're doing that, <laughs> and you want to actually differentiate, right? Yeah, yeah, I see that point. I, I mean, it's, I'm not addressing specifically the the, the reasons here, but mm. um, uh, yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's an interesting discussion that we. Do. I mean, I like to discuss these things, right? That's what that's what we're that's why we're here for. All right. On that note, I guess we can move on to the yes, next piece of news. We have a less very important piece of news. Nish, do you want to share? I mean, this is very sad. It's very personal, huh? I mean, there's terrible things happening in this world, but with, but but this one definitely also needs to be mentioned. That one, you even put a sad smiley. Yes. Okay. The Star Wars Hotel, operated by Disney. By the way, for those who don't know, Disney has a hotel themed for Star Wars. Everybody's dressed as Star Wars characters. And everything is in style of Star Wars. There's even doors that open with little sounds like from the movie. There's little. They even have hired. I'm not sure if they still do it, but they had hired little people. <laughs> Were you there? To, no, I was never there. I've heard about it. They even hired little people to wear costumes from several movies to walk around. I mean, it's job opportunity, right? And play characters from the movie. Well, that was the experience hotel. So, long story short, Disney has decided to close. Why? They don't have enough money, so the I mean, um, it's part of restructuring, huh? This why there's also this news is relevant. Um, Disney has decided to cut 5.5 billion dollars of costs. Uh, they haven't officially said why. Uh, they, I mean, maybe they, we don't know if they're making less money or more money as a company, but one of the reasons they said was they want to really focus on trying to uh, f- to spend a lot of money on their streaming business. Streaming business. So perhaps I thought long stay. Just joking. <laughs> Disney long stay. <laughs> I'm sure. You, so uh, the, uh, the average cost of a Disney hotel for two weeks was, I think, four and a half, four point eight thousand dollars, or for one week, sorry, oh, wow. per person. So that would have been a very expensive long stay. Very expensive long stay. Okay. They also are uh, shutting down a few other things. So they are basically stopping a few developments um, of you know different hotels and so on and so forth. So. Yep, mm, Disney yeah. is definitely restructuring. Definitely doubling down on hotels. Okay. Yep. Sad news. Uh, obviously, you know, a, a bit uh, a bit funny to talk about Star Wars Hotel, <laughs> but it's part of a bigger story. The Star Wars Hotel is closing. All right, let's move on. Should we talk about Egypt? I think we should talk about Egypt. So that. I thought was very interesting news because Egypt is focusing on medical tourism. And even though I have worked in tourism and I've heard a lot about like all different types of tourism, somehow medical tourism hasn't really been much on my radar. And um, I have looked at the medical tourism index and who is leading that. And for now, it's Canada, Singapore and Japan, meaning people are traveling to those countries to get medical treatment done. And Egypt um, wants to focus on that because it's very favorable, like natural resources, like uh, suitable climate, mineral water springs, sulfur water bath, mud, hot sand, and so on. So people go there for recovery reasons, for treatments, for relaxations, and so on and so on. But it also has very skilled medical staff. And the prices for, for example, heart, um, heart transplants, I've seen, hair transplants, bypass surgery, hips, um, hip surgery, all of these things, people actually, especially depending on what kind of a medical plan um, the country has, they fly to Egypt to get that done because the government even allows peop- visitors to have uh, medical insurance during the time they're being in Egypt. So you can actually 
have medical insurance while traveling to but will Egypt, it, a local one. But will it cover? Usually, yeah, those insurances cover emergency, right? So. No, I think this is particularly they're making packages and stuff with God. That's that's actually very interesting. I didn't know that Canada, Singapore, and Japan were top three. But perhaps it also maybe is an indicator of what you need to be to be able to attract medical tourism. Maybe you need to have an image of a successful country (laughs) (laughs) that is doing well. I'm not sure. Saying that with that like face. I'm not sure if I would want to have a heart transplant in Egypt. No. Would you? I don't need a heart transplant. Let's say in a hypothetical world Mm. where you decided to get a second heart because you like the the TV show of the Who, Mm. Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. um, and you want to have it once again. I mean, it really depends because I think in certain countries those um, operations are so expensive that you can actually not afford it. And if I would have to choose to get one in Egypt or not be able to have it, I would definitely go to Egypt. Do you, but th- does it not concern you that Egypt doesn't have a good image of a country that but has But they still have very skilled medical staff. Based on what? Doesn't what? Based on what? If they can do all those surgeries, um, there must be statistics on how successful there is they really are, successful right? Like we're just, we're just, it, we cannot just judge from like what we think of having been to, I don't know, Sharm el Sheikh one day. I don't think that's a, <laughs> a true image on on Egypt, right? So it's just like a. What is this whole like it's a it's a judgment yes prejudgment a a bias statement bias statement exactly we don't i'm pretty sure have i'm I'm just uh, i'm just uh, you're being judgmental yes exactly i'm just questioning your your idea of egypt of being a great place to (laughs) get a heart transplant but um i mean that's why i find it very interesting that they're focusing on it right like you will not be able to focus on medical tourism if you do not have medical skilled staff like that's just literally impossible i mean also referring back to what we saw a few weeks ago um a few countries are also trying to focus right on to basically all choose their own direction of Mm. tourism and then they try to develop it i think recently we looked at um, uh, portugal or was it madeira that was trying to basically attract um um nomads digital nomads mm, yeah specifically or exactly. there was also the 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 story of um which country was it i think it was um next to, to, to india but they were basically uh, p- planning to sell gold in tax-free shops ah, yes um bhutan bhutan trying to attract basically a more luxury kind of uh, customer right i mean it's just one of those yeah. things that you you try to attract you, know, you find your little segment and then you to you work towards that exactly i mean especially if you work in hospitality sometimes you focus on hotels only but actually the destination has such a big impact on hotels and hospitality in general right so i just thought um yeah interesting. i mean if the uh, let's see i mean it will be very it would be a very interesting scientific study to now track egypt yeah see what they've done and let's say revisit this in a few years and see how much based on how much money they've invested and what they've done, how much they've actually gone up in the index. I think you should sign a paper on it. You know, an academic paper. For our wonderful listeners, next <laughs> next week, make sure you subscribe. <laughs> then next week... Mish will find an academic paper and we will on discuss, medical staff in Egypt. We will discuss how uh, medical tourism index positioning uh, <laughs> is impacted and uh, what does the government actually need to do for that to grow yes okay
you're gonna find the person that you like. I, I I mean you 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 perhaps are being slightly judgmental here. I am being uh, sarcastic. Uh, sarcastic, Thanks. but jokes aside, I am generally excited about finding <laughs> this paper. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think we can move on to um, the more general uh, news. And um, I mean, we found something very interesting this week. Yes. Um, in particular, global payment providers are. Now receiving competition. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, and also, can you, again, kind of say what global payment providers are? Because, again, I feel this kind of little bit like the GBSs of the world. The GPPs and then GPSs. The GPSs, and, you and know. The, the, the WWBs. Okay, <laughs> now we're having a <laughs> No, basically, um, so global payment providers, you know them as Stripe or MasterCard or Visa or um, PayPal, whatever. A lot of those um, providers that basically facilitate a financial transaction between person A, person B, business A, this person B, right? So, um, as some of you might know, uh, all of them mostly charge fees. So usually the private consumer doesn't see those. However, the businesses do. So the businesses are the ones who pay, let's say, one or one point five or let's say zero point something percent for each transaction, right? Mm -hmm. So for businesses that have five, six, seven percent profit margin, right? One percent fee obviously makes a difference. Yeah. And uh, that's why MasterCard is worth a lot because they, the idea of MasterCard and Visa is that while, you know, they charge zero point something percent, they charge it for almost every transaction there is, mm. right? And <laughs> if you look at the whole economy, one percent of the whole economy sounds quite attractive. So um, the interesting part now is... Um, well, China and India and a few other countries have their own payment providers. Mm. They have developed their own payment providers that are actually leading in those markets. So, for example, uh, in India, there is, uh, well, I'm sorry, we don't have the list here, but basically both China, both India and Africa have their own market leaders. Okay. So in, in China, that would be WeChat or Alipay, right? And those are actually leaders in payment providers, not Visa, not MasterCard. Mm -hmm. Also, China has their own credit card systems, right, that are also just specifically for China. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing now is they've decided to go out there and compete for the Western market as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, you might, some of you might have seen Alipay showing up in a few payment providers. Right now, you can go to Burger King and pay with Alipay in, really? in Germany. We need to try. Let's go Burger King. I, I mean, I would regret. I would not want to download any <laughs> Chinese apps on my phone anymore, but that's maybe besides the topic. I but the, the interesting part now is um, all these providers are now going to be competing with each other. So it's going to be cheaper soon. Hopefully. And that's That'd the be nice. That would be that's the interesting news for, I mean, for the end consumer and for the businesses. If there's competition, there might be some fee cutting to be able to, cause really? to show off that we are better, right? Because up until now, there was a kind of oligopoly. For those who don't know, oligopoly basically means a monopoly, but it's a conglomerate of companies that have agreed secretly on terms. So technically, they're not actually competing anymore, mm. right? So effectively, there is a group of companies that are, uh, obviously, we, you know, there is no official accusations in the moment, right? But the market feels as if, for example, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, and there's nothing else, mm. right? However, with a few of those players coming in from other countries, uh, this is definitely going to be shaken up a little bit. And Hi. the convenience is going to be definitely increased. I mean, uh, for those who have used Alipay before, with, I mean, all the central government tracking your transactions uh, <laughs> story aside, Alipay is extremely convenient. Yeah. 
way more than almost any other tool that we have in Germany. So. Huh. I'm looking forward to the price dumping. I mean, um, right, uh, if, 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 if there is a price dumping for businesses, there also might so be some price dumping for consumers, right? It's, yeah, it's a kind of uh, a trickle-down effect. So definitely we can say that more competition is better for consumers. All right. More innovation and so on and so forth. And it's obviously relevant for our wonderful hoteliers and restaurant operators. So that's good news. Good news you found. I like them. Thank you. I think on that note we can uh, <laughs> we can close the we, we can, can close, close the week. our podcast for today. <laughs> so and um, thank you very much all for listening. Yes. We post once a week. You will now find all the links and all the topics we discussed and more in the description of the podcast. We will now, from now on, point attach all the texts and all the links in the podcast itself. And also, if you want to receive the podcast one day before, you can subscribe uh, by also checking out the description at leporty.com and receive a direct notification when we upload. Thank you very much, all. Thank you. Bye. Have a great week. See you next week.